Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Lord, thank you for dying in our place, Lord, so that we can be forgiven, Lord, our sins, Lord. We couldn't do anything, but you made the way, because, Lord, you're the way, the truth, and the life, Lord. Lord, I thank you for all you've done, Lord, and what you continue to do in our lives. Thank you, Lord, in your name, amen. We'll go to uh, Pastor Gary, who'll be giving us the sermon. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Okay, praise the Lord. Good morning, church. And um, it's good to see everyone on Zoom this morning. Well, for those who are gaming enough to put their faces on and, uh, and to the rest that are hiding there, God bless you all. Um, we're going to continue our series, a series that I have uh, started for those that have uh, recently joined with us again, especially those from Ballarat. Um, we've been look, um, looking at the seven sayings of the cross. And so our Lord, as he hung upon that cross and the words that proceeded from his mouth, there were seven sayings. And so we've already, in an introduction, we looked at um, the whole issue of the crucifixion as foretold in the scriptures and, and, and its centrality to our salvation and our Christian life. And then the last time we were looking at those words that Jesus spoke where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we look specifically at those words uh, that were spoken by our Lord. And, um, and we looked at the issue of ignorance as well. But uh, glorious it is that we have and we are partakers of God's forgiveness. And so we want to look now today at the second saying of our Lord on the cross. And so again, there's not any particular order in this, but we will be following on from Luke chapter 23, where we read last time. Uh, but we're going to look at the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so last time it was Father, forgive them. It was a word of forgiveness. But this morning we want to look at um, uh, the, the next word that comes forth from our, or saying that comes forth from our Lord's mouth, and that is a word of salvation. A word of salvation is that which proceeds secondly or next is here in, in, in the Gospel of Luke at least in which Jesus is speaking and the words which proceed from his mouth. And so when I consider not just the words that Jesus spoke but the context which we will get to in a moment in which we find these words spoken, it surely gives us an indication Again, not only into the heart and purpose of God, but also to the very fact that Jesus himself, when he said these words, he said, I have come to seek and save which was lost. These are the words that come to mind as we consider these words this morning. When Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. 
And so when we do those words as spoken through the ministry of Jesus Christ here on the cross in the context of what's going on, these words are very much appropriate to the situation at hand, dealing with the fact, the fact even as Jesus is, is hung upon the cross, and in the process of giving his life, in all that's going on, he takes the time to reach out to a soul that is in need. And so uh, uh, a soul that is in need for God's mercy. And Jesus is ever mindful. In light of this very fact, you could have just said to himself, well, let him focus on himself. He's going through so much. But even still at the cross, he's focused on drawing sinners to salvation and sinners to himself. And so there are glorious truths that are associated with the uh, the words that proceed from Jesus's mouth that we're going to read in just a moment. But you see, the Bible's clear. The Bible says these words, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that is that despite uh, uh, what sin, this is the words of the Bible that we're dealing with. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will be saved, as we'll see, and uh, through, even through this uh, experience and what's going on. But nevertheless, that's the truth. That's the desire of God. And not only that, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that is as simple as it is. It's not a matter of repeating specific words in a prayer or a sinner's prayer, as we call it, but rather it's just in, in whatever way and whatever words, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when we consider the words that come from Jesus's mouth this morning, we're going to see that these are words of hope. These are words of assurance. These are words of comfort. These are words that give us great confidence this morning in what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do for us uh, and what salvation is all about. Glory to God. So let's read our text and we want to look at gospel chapter 23 and we're going to read verse 42 and verse 43, although we will reference back to the previous verses, but let's just read uh, these particular words found in verse 42 and 43. The Bible says, then this is the, uh, the, the criminal that is uh, uh, hang, hanging on a cross besides Jesus. He says these words, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Lord, I pray, quicken the word of God this morning to our hearts and our minds. Let us, Lord, receive with meekness and with joy the word of God and reveal these glorious truths that are attached to it. I pray to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a profound statement that Jesus makes here upon the cross as he speaks to the criminal that is being crucified next to him as he makes a request of him and says, remember me. Now, to fully appreciate 
and to fully understand um, uh, uh, the words that Jesus spoke here in verse 43, it is imperative that we understand the context of what's going on here so that we can draw more understanding the text. You see, here it is, Jesus in the midst of his crucifixion. And what's going on here is no coincidence. We established that when we looked in the introduction, this was foreordained by God, the whole issue of the cross. Everything that Jesus is speaking, all that's transpiring is something that was all foreordained. And we know even the prophets spoke explicitly of the cross. And so we have even Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, where the prophet Isaiah spoke these words. Now we reference this to uh, the, the last sermon, but listen to verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, speaking of Jesus, shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. Now, here's the words. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, we looked at those words uh, there where it says, and he made a session for the transgressors when he prayed, Father, for them, for they know not what they do. But here now, he is making intercession for transgressors in the sense that he's dealing with those that are, or the specific one that is being crucified alongside of him, when also the Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors. You see, here's Jesus, his Lamb of God, he is without sin. He has done nothing wrong. He is pure innocent. And here he is being hung upon a cross and he's on, on both one side of him on his left hand side and on his right hand side, he has two criminals who are being crucified justly for the, their crimes. And so here we have, the Bible says that he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he was without sin but he was giving himself uh, uh, for the sins of many. And so here we have, right at this moment, a fulfillment of prophecy to the detail. He's, desert, uh, he's crucified between two criminals. Now, we know that Jesus himself uh, is innocent. Isn't it interesting that in light of everything that's going on, the Bible on various occasions points out the innocence of Jesus Christ? I mean, think about Judas for a moment. He betrayed Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. And then afterwards, uh, he goes back because of his remorse. <coughs> and uh, he throws the, them down and he says these words. He says, I have betrayed innocent blood. And so there you have a declaration of Christ's innocence. It was Pilate as he had Jesus stand before him. And as he examined him, the Bible says that he says to the Jews, I find no fault in him. I find no fault. And so he's declaring to them that our Lord's innocence. Again, the perfect lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world. We know that it was Pilate's wife who had a dream and she was troubled and she sent a message to Pilate and she said, I have nothing to do with this just man. He's a just man. He's done no wrong. He is without sin. He is innocent. And the Bible says that here he is on a cross numbered with the transgressors. Think about that. I mean, talk about a miscarriage of justice. And yet, in light of all of this, the Bible talks about there are multitudes that are around Christ and they are mocking him. 
They are, they are ridiculing him. They are speaking against him. And, to, and so they're saying, well, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And, you know, if, 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 if uh, God saved others, well, then let God come and save him if he's the son of God. And they, they blaspheme him. They ridicule him. And the Bible tells us, not here in Luke's gospel, but in other accounts in the gospel of Mark chapter 15 and I, uh, also in, um, 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 in other gospels as well, it makes reference to the two criminals that were crucified alongside him. And the Bible says that they both themselves revolt and blasphemed him. And so the two criminals initially, as they hung upon that cross, both ridiculed Christ, both spoke against him, both mocked him with the crowds. And so you can picture the environment that's going on around Christ as he hung upon that cross. You know, the crucifixion was a, uh, was a, a profound event. The Bible says that, you know, the crucifixion lasted for six hours and from the hour of 12 until 3 in the middle of the day, it went pitch black. It was darkness that covered that area. And so you're talking about phenomena that was going on in the middle of the day, earthquakes and thunder. There was, a, there was dramatic circumstances that were going on during and around and after the time of Christ's crucifixion. And so much so that even after uh, Jesus uh, gave up his spirit. The Bible says that a centurion man, now listen to these words. Uh, it's found actually in verse 47 of the text. You, you can just see it for yourself. But he says, uh, the centurion who stood by and observed everything that was going on, he said these words, surely, certainly, this was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He was the logical conclusion to everything that he had observed and seen. Now, we can assume from what's going on that these, both of these criminals that are crucified beside Christ, they are well acquainted with Jesus. They, under, they have an understanding. I mean, the Bible tells us of, above Jesus' head on the cross, there's an inscription, the King of the Jews. And so what was going on in Jerusalem was not for, uh, uh, foreign to those of the city. And so these criminals had an acquaintance with Christ. They would have heard the stories. They had an awareness, at least generally. And initially, they're both mocking and condemning Christ. But you see, during the crucifixion, something wonderful and profound happens or transpires in the heart of one of these criminals that's crucified with Christ. And so you begin to pick this up. And that is what we are dealing with in the text. When you look at the preceding verses and what's going on in the context, one of those criminals is having a change of heart. Something deeply profound is happening internally in this criminal, which leads to him speaking the words in verse 42, when he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And obviously provokes the words that Jesus spoke today. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now you can just picture for a moment. Why was it? What, what, what can we draw from this fact that this criminal here? He was just moments ago. He's crucifying and ridiculing and blaspheming Christ. And now he's asking Christ to remember him. Well, I think that uh, as he's observing what's going on around him, as he observes and he heard now the first words of Jesus in the previous verses in verse 34, where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so he's having to uh, hear these words. 
He's, he's observing what's going on around him. And now this is impacting him and it's hitting him hard in his heart. And so what we are seeing and what we are observing is a, a God at work in the heart of a sinner this morning. Look at verse 39. It says, uh, then one of the criminals uh, uh, who, who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God being under the same condemnation? Now, look, this is the response. Now, remember, this guy had previously been ridiculing, but now he's, he's defending Christ. And uh, in verse 41, he says to the other criminal, he says, we indeed justly are deserving of death, for we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he is again testifying to the innocence of Christ. He's done nothing wrong. How, can't you see what's going on? And so uh, now he is rebuking the other criminal rather than be participating in the events that are going on in the mocking. You see, what do we discern in these this morning? What is it that we can pick up and learn from this? What is happening in this man's heart? Well, firstly, it is this. <clears throat> from being a participant in what's going on, he has become an observer what's going on around him and this has resulted of a, a god to begin to work in his heart in actual fact that just thinking upon that statement from being a participant he has become an observer as i was just thinking about that i was thinking about my, my brother actually when he came to know jesus i'd been a christian for a couple of three years uh, he had not come to church and he came uh, he was my best man for the we uh, my wedding barbara and i and uh, that was the first time he'd come to church and been exposed to the gospel and, and the people of God. And uh, I remember after the, the wedding and after the, the reception lunch we had, Barbara and I went off and my brother was invited by my father-in-law to go back to his house so that they could all kind of party on, have drink alcohol and do all the doing. And my brother said to me these words, that as he was at that after party, he began to withdraw from what was going on because everyone was, you know, commenting on the, on, on the, the wedding. Others were mocking it. Others, you know, were saying this and, and he just began to stand back and become an observer. And as he observed it, he thought, you know what? My brother is so happy. He's, he, he, he seems so full with joy and all these people are doing is just drinking, carrying on, mocking and criticizing. And he became an observer, which then ultimately led to his salvation. And so the point that I'm trying to make this morning is this criminal, rather than become participant in what was going on, he became an observer. And in doing so, something was happening in his own heart. And as something was happening, what we are going to discern, this was a work of grace by God in the heart of this particular criminal. As we observe and identify what's going on, keep in mind that this is a work of God's grace in a heart. You see, one heart is as hard as ever the other criminal. Yet here's the other one. He's having a change of heart. Why? Well, first of all, we'll put it down to the work of grace and the work of God in his heart. He's coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, uh, the Holy Spirit, his purpose is to convict the world of sin. 
And so here's this criminal. He says, we, do, we deserve to die. I deserve to die. He's convicted of his own sinfulness before the Lord. And so he's convicted and he's seeing his own sin and his own just reward of death. And so what we have here is we're dealing with a person who's come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So we're dealing with a man who has come to the end of himself. You think that here he is on a cross blaspheming God. You think, gosh, when is this guy going to come to the end of himself? When is he going to become desperate enough to see his need? Well, it happened. And in doing so, he came to the end of himself. He realized, I'm about to die. I'm, I'm about to, my life's about to come to an end any moment. And so in an act of desperation, he calls upon Jesus Christ. So isn't that how it works, the gospel? You know, we try and share the gospel. We preach Christ and the world is so self-absorbed. It's so um, given over to the things of this world. It has, it doesn't see it's need for a savior there's no desperation in their heart they're too giving themselves over to everything uh, of the world the worldly pursuits but you see when people come to the end of themselves after sin has taken its toll after men have been chewed up by the world and spat out and left alone and uh, 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 as we see even uh, in in the times we are now there's a uh, people are suffering from loneliness people are isolated people are at the end of themselves and this is where people become desperate and this is a, the a perfect opportunity for god to work in the heart and here's this man, this criminal, he's calling upon Jesus Christ. And so he's at the end of himself. He's become desperate. And lastly, he's able to identify the true nature and purpose of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. See, up until then, he was mocking and ridiculing him. But now he realizes this is the king of the Jews. This is a God of love. Father, forgive them. This man's done nothing wrong. And in doing so, there's that identification this morning. And uh, he begins to see his need for Saviour. And he begins to see Christ in such a way that he had not seen him before. And I put to you this morning that this understanding of Christ is not something that he figured out for himself. When Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. You didn't come to that revelation because of your own intellect and because of your own reason. He says, the Lord, uh, God revealed this glorious truth to you of who I am. And so here it is. God is working in this man's heart. Come under the conviction of the spirit. He's desperate at the end of himself about to die. And he has a revelation of Christ. And that is the gospel. That's how the spirit of God works this morning. And so here, as a result of this, we have a perfect example of repentance. We have a perfect example of repentance and faith at work in this man's heart. That word repentance means to have a change of mind. And now all of a sudden we see this has happened in this criminal. And also he has a strife for sin. He says we deserve to be, to be killed because we, are, we deserve it. So he is in sorrow for his sin and uh, he is forsaken sin. Now you could easily argue, well, he's on a cross about to die. What else can he do? 
the same time, we, we draw from his words and understanding that this man is distancing himself. He's, he's sorrowful. He is repentant. He's uh, changed his mind. And therefore, it's clear, evident that though the action is not observable clearly in his heart, it's evident there. And so we see the issue of repentance and faith. Because in faith, is the fact that calls out to God when he says in verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. These are words of faith this morning. This is not, you can overlook these words and just read it as some story, but you must see that this is a way into his heart. He is now having faith in Christ when he says, remember me. He spoke the words, remember me. Simple as that. You see, what does the Bible tell us about salvation? The Bible tells us in two particular scriptures. In Romans chapter 10, verse 10, listen to this. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. One With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession made under salvation. So here is a man that's demonstrating both of those qualities. His first heart, he has believed, which has led to him to speak. And confession is made when he says, Lord, remember me. And in chapter 10 of Romans, again, in verse 13, it says these words, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is exactly what's going on. He's calling upon Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, save me. This is faith. You see, is this being criminal beyond the mercy of God this morning? No, he's not. No, he's not. He deserves to die and he knows it. He knows it. But yet he's, he's, he's in desperation. He's putting himself onto the mercy of God, saying, God, remember me, Jesus, remember me. And he becomes a recipient of God's mercy right at that point of time. <coughs> and our Lord's response is so wonderful. Jesus is assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus doesn't say, oh, sorry, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I haven't got time. <laughs> he doesn't say, no, we, um, you know, you've committed the unpardonable sin. He doesn't say, oh, no, your sin too many. You know, look at what you did in your life. You don't serve it. No, 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 that's not what we see. We see the heart of God this morning, the heart of forgiveness, the heart of mercy. And here Jesus saves this man. And uh, I tell you, this is glorious this morning. This, this is a, literally a deathbed experience, salvation, if you want to call it that, where this man genuinely calls on the name of the Lord and he gets saved. And so, um, uh, again, this is testament to the mercy of God. But let us ask ourselves this morning, what do these words that proceed from Jesus's mouth teach us? What is it that they reveal to us? Because there's this whole experience and the words that proceed from Jesus's mouth teach us something. And so remember, there are two criminals that are crucified with Christ. 
and both are representative, both are symbolic, both are sinners, but one gets saved and is bound to heaven and the other is condemned to hell to eternal judgment. He's unsaved. Now, again, we said at the beginning that God offers salvation to all men, but not all men are saved. Not because God, God is willing that none should perish, but this is the reality of what we're dealing with. And this is representative. The cross teaches us this very fact. Here is two men, two criminals. They both deserve hell. They both deserve to die. And yet one is forgiven and goes to heaven and the other dies and goes to hell. And yet, uh, so we see that one sinner, one, well, one criminal, I should say, represents a sinner without Christ and dies in their sin and is eternally judged in, in hell for, forever. And yet we have the other one who represents the sinner as well, but with Christ, who is forgiven, gets saved, and he's on his way to heaven. Praise the Lord. And so are not like that man, that criminal that was saved. Were we not uh, ourselves? Don't we, weren't we justly deserving of death? Don't we ourselves deserve to go to hell? Don't we ourselves find ourselves in the place of both of those criminals? Absolutely we do. But you see, we all fall, the world falls on either one side of Christ, on this side, left hand of the right hand side. And I tell you now that, that we can be saved and we were saved. And thank God that we came to understand and have a revelation of his death. And then when we said, Lord, remember me, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. We were saved by his grace and by his mercy. What a glorious saviour we had this morning. Now, let's consider further the words more closely that Jesus spoke in verse 43. Because it's important for us to consider this this morning, because these words here teach us something. They give us an understanding of God's plan and his purpose. So when the criminal says, Lord, remember me, come to your kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus responds to him and he says, hey, you sorry. He says, assuredly, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, let's break this down for a moment because he says, assuredly, first and foremost, assuredly, I say to you. What Jesus is saying, this word assuredly in the Hebrew is the word that we have in our English. We know it well. It is amen. Amen. Jesus is saying the word in the Hebrew means that the word that I say, this, this, the word that I'm about to speak is sure. It is trustworthy. It is firm. You can bet your life on it. This is truth assuredly amen i say to you so think about that this is a, a word that is coming from jesus this is a promise this is a declaration and so what does the bible tell us that all the promises of god in him are i wish i could hear you <laughs> but i know what you'll be saying the bible says all the promises of god in him are yes and amen and so Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, he's saying, amen, understand this, what I'm about to say, because it is sure, it is steadfast, it is trustworthy, this declaration, it is truth. 
And so we say amen to the promises of God. When we hear these glorious truths, we can't help but say amen. Uh, praise the Lord because they are glorious truths that we have become partakers of. Jesus says to him, assuredly, I say to you, what does he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Now notice he doesn't say tomorrow. Doesn't say next week. Doesn't say next year. Doesn't say, oh, one day. He says today. And when Jesus says today, he means today. <laughs> today you will be with me in paradise. And so again, this issue of paradise in the Bible, um, uh, it, here it's speaking in the word, it means a future place of happiness. Uh, and I don't want to go into the details of it now, but it also has an application in the fact that Jesus himself, uh, for those that uh, were, were, if you want to call it in Christ, or those that died in faith in the Old Testament, and they were in Abraham's bosom. And so the Bible says that Jesus led captivities a captivity captive. And so when we talk about paradise, it has an application specifically to that. And so Jesus uh, going into that place of Hades and, uh, and leading captivity captive. So that's one aspect that is, is, is relevant and has consideration. But the truth that I want to draw out this morning is, uh, is, is uh, goes further in that it's speaking paradise here is also representative of where God is. You will be with me in paradise. We are talking about heaven. Praise the Lord. And so all those that were in, in the literal paradise there, they were led, he led captivity captive. Being first fruits, he resurrected from the dead and they all, amen, entered in. And so we have those saints amen, that are in heaven today. But you see, when Jesus says today, you will be with me in paradise, so he is literally meaning exactly those words. That's what he means. And I say this because there are those who seek to undermine this particular scripture and these words that were spoken by Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking to a criminal. He deserves to die and go to hell. And he says, all he says is, Lord, remember me. But that's so symbolic of what that represents. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And I just want to demonstrate some, because there are those that undermine the exact meaning of these words that come from Jesus's mouth. First of all, there's the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. And so people talk about Catholicism and Christianity, but I tell you now, though evangelicals and Catholics come together, I tell you the scriptures and the catechism will never unite, never because Catholic catechism, which is the doctrine of the Catholic Church, always contradicts and undermines the word of God and the truth of God's word. And the whole doctrine of purgatory is not even found in the Bible. More than that, it undermines the work of God on Calvary's cross. And so, therefore, the idea that one dies and then goes to purgatory, not heaven, and purgatory is a temporary place of punishment where a person who has died outside of the grace of God, uh, but not deserving of hell, eternal punishment, they go to purgatory and there they spend some t amount of time in which they uh, um, atone for their own sins through suffering. And then at some point in time, God says, well, look, you've suffered enough. You've qualified. Now you can come to heaven. See, that's the idea surrounding purgatory. Is that what Jesus said? 
he said, did he say to the criminal, listen, because you were in such wrong, you have to spend some time in purgatory. And after that, then when the time will let you into heaven, you see, that's not the gospel. That's what Jesus said. And it's not the gospel it is a corruption of the gospel because Jesus's death pays the price. And that's why today he can be with Jesus in paradise because Jesus, amen, his blood that was shed on Calvary pays the price once and for all. So if you have to pay for your own sins in purgatory, then what's the purpose of Jesus shedding his blood? So I hope you can see that the Catholic doctrine of purgatory undermines the cross, is a false doctrine, is a false gospel, it's a perverted gospel, it's a doctrine of demons, it is rubbish, and it undermines the gospel of itself. And as Paul the Apostle said, so I say this morning, if anyone preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. And that I say out of a zeal and a love for the truth of God's word this morning. Purgatory is a load of rubbish. But then there are others, other teachings that undermine these words of Jesus. There's the, there's the Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses believe that, um, that they don't go to heaven. Actually, only the 144,000 of the elect of Jehovah Witnesses who are dead now, because, you know, obviously being around since 1850 or 1860 when it started, uh, those elect have now died. They went to heaven. But the rest of them, paradise for them means that they're going to live on earth forever in uh, well, when Jesus comes back and they're going to live for forever on the earth and paradise is the earth. Now, again, they misunderstand the scriptures in terms of the millennial reign of Christ. But nevertheless, they take away the very fact that you will not go to heaven. You will not be in the paradise of God in heaven, but rather paradise is on earth. Again, this is a false doctrine. And there are others. There's uh, even the Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventism. They teach a doctrine that is called soul sleep. So that when a person dies, they enter into a, uh, a hibernation, if you want to call it. And so until the day of the resurrection, the, to the day in which that resurrection is, uh, comes uh, and the judgment, <coughs> the soul enters into a, a hibernation and a state of soul sleep. Now think about that. So again, when Jesus says today, you will be with me in paradise, all of these teachings undermine the very words that Jesus speaks. You see, the question is this, did Jesus mean what he said? A Amen. He surely, absolutely. Does the scripture bear witness with his words? Absolutely it does. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi. And he says in verse 20, he will look there first. He says these words. He says, I am hard pressed. He says, I desire to live and help you. Uh, there's one part of me that wants to remain with you because I know that I'm a benefit to you, to teach you, to help you, and to be an example to you. He says, I have a desire to live and be with you, but I also have a desire to depart from this body. And he says, to be with Christ, which is far better. Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
with Jesus. He says uh, that I have a desire, a conflicting desire in my heart to depart and be with Christ. And he says, listen, it is far better, far better to be absent from this body and to be with Christ. Look at verse 21 of Philippians chapter 1. He says these words, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now just think about those words for a moment. Let them resonate in our heart and in our mind. For me to live is Christ, because he gives, he's giving himself, it's Christ that lives in him for the ministry and for all that he's doing. But he says, to die is gain. You see, to die is gain. Now think about those words in the context of the world in which we live in. You know, we're living in the midst of a pandemic, if you want to call it that, in, in, and we're living in the midst where the world around us has gone into a state of fear. Now, I'm not, I don't want to cast aside, you know, the need for wisdom in, and in these circumstances, but, you know, there's a line that gets crossed and it's a line that causes one to be fearful. And what we're dealing with is people are governed by the fear of death. People are, are, are horrified at the thought of dying. And so there's every mechanism, every attempt to, to self-preserve, to preserve themselves. And at whatever cost to the economy, to finances, to people's livelihoods, it doesn't matter. Let it all burn around us. But as long as we remain alive, because that seems to be the gain. But my Bible says that the greatest gain is not to live. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You see, this is the scriptures this morning. To die is gain. And so, you know, uh, we need to be wise. I understand that we need to take steps that are, are, are representative of that. Don't get me wrong. I do understand that as well. But what I'm saying is, is there is a tension here and we have to not be governed by the mindset of the world around us. Because my Bible says, even if I was to die, and we were all going to die at some point, to die is gain. It's not loss. It is gain. And this is the Christian worldview. Paul says it's better. It's better to die. That's what he's saying. Now he says, I have a desire to be here for your benefit, but really my desire is to go and be with Christ. To die for me, I win. It means I'm with Jesus. It means I'm in heaven. I mean, what could be more rewarding and more fulfilling than that? And so in the midst of everything that's going on around us, church, I want us to have a clear Christian worldview of what we're dealing with here and in relation to death. I mean, again, I don't want to diminish anyone that dies. There's a certain element of sorrow. But you see, the Bible says that we're not going to live forever. Ten out of ten people are going to die. And whether you make it to 70, whether you make it to 80, 90 or 100, whatever the Lord wills, you know what? If you've had a good innings in this life, thank god but either way whether i at 20 or 80 to if you are if you know the lord you are with the lord praise name again let's read the scriptures second corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 paul is speaking to the church of corinth and he says so we are always confident that while we are absent in the body sorry let me start again. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
We are confident, yes, well, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Think about that's the word of God. The Bible's saying that Paul says, while I'm in my body, I'm absent from God's presence from heaven. But the day will come to be absent from this body is to be in the presence of God, not in purgatory, not in soul sleep. No, not in the hope of this world and paradise. Uh, yes, there's, a, there's the millennial reign of Christ and that which relates to that. But there's a whole new heavens and new earth. Uh, and we must have this understanding to be absent from this body means that I am present with Jesus. Hallelujah. And he says... We are confident. Actually, he says we are well pleased rather to be absent from the body. So that's the mindset of Paul the Apostle. To die is gain. I'd, we'd rather be absent from the body, to be honest. And really, that should be our mindset. If we live this life, we live it to Christ. Lord, what are you keeping me here for? What is your will? What is it that you want me to do? Because the time will come when our purpose is in, our time is up and to be absent from the body. We're well pleased to be present with the Lord this morning. So we have an assurance. And this is the thought I want to leave you with this morning. We have an assurance. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10. Maybe you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The Bible speaks here and we find... In verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That speaks about our relationship to God now. So in spite of what's going on around us, we to have an absolute confidence to enter the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Now we can come to that secret place. We can come to that refuge. We can come to that fortress and we, we are in Christ Jesus. And so by the blood of Jesus, we can enter behind the veil and hide in him. Praise the Lord. And so it says in verse 20, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Now look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Assuredly, I say to you, Amen. God has promised. And the Bible says that we are to have a full assurance of faith. That word full assurance, it means an entire confidence. I mean, there, there mustn't be one ounce and shadow of doubt at what the Bible teaches us, what our hope is. We have a full assurance of faith and we hold fast to that. You see, the enemy wants to uh, cause us to be moved in this direction, in that direction with the circumstances of life around us. But the Bible says we are holding fast to the promises, to the word of God. And that's our confidence. We have a full assurance of faith. It's full. It's entire. Amen. We have entire confidence. It's not just a hope in hope. We have a hope in Christ. Praise the Lord. He will carry out fully that which he has, has promised. And so thank God this morning 
that we like the criminal in our text. We had no hope, but now we have hope. We said, Lord, remember me. And God said, hey, most assuredly, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I pray this morning that we would see the words of our Lord that he spoke here and how they apply to you and I and uh, ultimately to our journey here on the earth and to our ultimate absence from this body to be present with the Lord. And he will save all those that will call upon him. Let me close with one last scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, speaking of Christ, our high priest, he is also able to save to the uttermost completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a savior, church. Even now, we, have, we, we, we can have full assurance of faith because we have a high priest who intercedes, who lives to intercede for us in this time in which we live. And he's able to save to the uttermost completely. That's why we can have a complete assurance faith this morning because we have a, a, a complete and a, a full assurance from God himself when Jesus said, assuredly, amen, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. A word of salvation indeed. Thank God for his salvation this morning. God bless you all. Jesus.